In those days, Hezekiah was sick. But he was sick facing death. Of course, everyone wants to know, what shall the end be? And Isaiah, his attending prophet, came to tell him, set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. And of course, lifting from that profound gift, which is the greatest gift you'll ever receive, to know when your last day on earth shall be. People don't believe that, but if you knew the exact moment of your passing, um, you might throw caution to the wind and go on a European vacation. You might finally buy the thing that you don't have enough money for now. You, you might make things right that are wrong and not wait. You might change your path of living to know when. Setting your house in order is a deliberate, intentional, it is a progression, it's a pursuit, it's an action both of will, desire, and I would submit even obedience to set your house in order. Uh, we spoke a little bit last week about some pragmatic or natural uh, parts of this, and I submitted things that might be a little elementary, but I did get some positive feedback when I submitted that you should go home and clean your house. And praise God, uh, there was a few marital disputes over that, but it did, it did amount to something. And that when your house is cluttered, it has ramifications on the rest of, of your life. Or taking an inventory, or knowing what space you have, maintaining the things that you have, useful things that you need. And, and then we know the power of routine, just routine. I can say to the college students, I've been in your place uh, twice, and I have a few um, uh, nice papers, diplomas on my wall. And um, at one point, I worked for the university, and because I worked for the university and didn't know what else to do, I took as many credit hours as I could. That one semester that I took 21 credit hours, I kind of burned myself out a little bit, but that was good for me, and I didn't have anything else to do, and um, uh, so it was good. So uh, I needed 128 credit hours to graduate, and I guess I could have graduated a lot sooner, uh, but I just kept on going, and and uh, just stacked them up like, the, like they were Legos. If you're going to excel, you have to study and you have to have a routine. If you're going to grow, you have to have a routine. All measure of, of self-intelligence or help or lifting yourself requires a routine. This is the pattern that God set for the Jewish people as it has been said. Are you ready? If you haven't heard it, hear it again. The Jewish people kept the Sabbath, but in reality they say the Sabbath kept them. When you keep your routine of worship, it will keep you. But if you fail in your routine of worship, you don't know where your life will lead. Amen. And then we talked a little bit about this emotional uh, 
portion. These are seven sevens that we're putting in order. And the second of the, of the sevens is emotion. And our emotional life is a, is, a, is a real life. You have a cardiovascular system. You have a skeletal system. You have a respiratory system, a nervous system. You have a muscular system. And guess what? You have an emotional system. God did that. He gave you an emotional system so that you can deal with, with, with laughter and sadness and pain and joy and all of those things that God gave. He did not just give you function. He gave you an emotion. And that is a spirit. That is your personal spirit. And you've got to put that in order. Otherwise, you'll either be a roller coaster of a person. One day you're way up and the next day you're way down. Or you'll be just um, a coasting without any joy. And you're, you're kind of flatlining. Um, and you, in that emotional system, you have to understand where things belong. Things. Things are to be used, not to be worshipped. Things are to be useful, uh, not to be uh, adored. Uh, we can become very nostalgic in, on things, and they can cripple our lives. Um, there's a difference between wants and needs. If your need power... Uh, pile is very high, you're probably out of balance. I'm, I'm sorry. Um, uh, yeah, you're probably out of balance. Many people have a big need pile and a small um, uh, want pile. Really, you should flip those. We really have very few needs. We have a lot of wants in our life. That's the American way to get everything and whoever has the most wins. That's what they say. Then you have contentment, this major thing called contentment. If you ever learn how to be content, you'll find great joy at the end of your contentment. But if you don't learn how to be content, you'll always be striving for something and never achieve anything. You'll never learn how to relax. Now, I'll parse the words for you. There's a difference between being satisfied and being content. I never want to be satisfied. But I've learned, as Paul wrote, that in whatever state I'm in, thereby be content. All right. <laughs> I'm, I, I have to move quickly. In fact, I'm, I'm, I'm past these because we really have to get to the third. So I'm just leaving that as it stands. And I'm going to move on to the third because I realize that I'm eating too much of my time in this next lesson. Um, Isaiah gave the king a guiding uh, point the nation up to that time that Hezekiah was ill followed the law of Moses. They did very well. Um, they made the proper sacrifices to God. But when this particular situation came about and Hezekiah prayed and he, he, he was granted his wish to live longer, the next few years spelled great devastation for the kingdom. It would have been better had Hezekiah passed away. But he did things after that he should not have done. Um, to command, the, the command to set his house in order, it spoke of a lot of other issues that we face today. And in that particular case, the prophet was saying, you need the proper authority that's going to follow you. You need to invest in your successor and you need to put a structure in place. And the absence of these things often cause chaos and there's division and, and even civil war or civil dispute and people begin to vie for authority. It's a common thread in the definition of 
dysfunctional homes and marriages and children and work and business and communities all over the world. So the chain of command had to be set in order, establishing boundaries and rules and codes of, of conduct. All of these things need to be set in place. And when they are dismantled or whittled away or when there's a decay in that, then there's, there's the society frays at the edges. And it's important even more important, if, if, if in this room you don't have children, because when there's no daily ramifications for poor lifestyles, there's an absence of self-discipline. And not always, but sometimes, most of the time, just the presence of a child in your home dictates that there is some kind of in order or set place or set time. So, so if you're single or, or if you have no more children in the home or, you're, or, or whatever the case may be, you must develop the disciplines. And it's never too late to, de- to, to set your house in order, even now tonight. So I get into this third seven, third of the sevens called structure. Everybody say structure. Structure has, um, uh, it's fallen on hard times and structure is critical, but, but it's, there's a great, um, uh, there's a great assault against structure uh, because people would rather be free spirited or they believe that being free spirited means you cannot have structure. Both, uh, both of those things are detrimental. Communication, conduct, and disciplines are part of a structure, a good structure. Um, and you have, to, you have to answer the appropriate questions. Here's, here's Philippians 1.27. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So let your conversation make sure that it's becoming, it's healthy, and that it does the gospel good. And I, I dare say that we have a great responsibility to guard our words because we represent something. And what you represent is higher than you. It's bigger than you. It's greater than your world. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't live to yourself. There are some things we do because it's unto the Lord. And there's some things we don't do because it's a stumbling block to our brethren. Paul said, all things are lawful for me, but not everything's expedient. That means I can do a lot of things, but some things I don't do just because I don't want to mess up my brother. The problem is we forgot those verses in the scripture and we become a finite church where we only gravitate towards scriptures that appease us. But there are some things you don't say, some places you don't go, some things you don't do, not because they're sinful, but because they're not expedient and because you are holding up something that's greater than you. And if you don't believe there's something greater than you, then what's greater is lost. All right. A personal responsibility extends to every part of the Christian life. Paying your bills. That extends to the Christian life. Being faithful to your word. Saying what you mean and then following up with your word. Being honest and not lying. Not being deceitful, 
being kind, being gracious. You, you're going to do all of that, and, and I've never spoken yet about speaking in other tongues. Because in the apostolic world, we speak in tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. But the downfall of that is, you, you should never think that just because you speak in tongues, that it exempts you from being honest, kind, and pure. Because I know a lot of people who speak in tongues on Sunday night, but they live like the devil on Monday night or Tuesday, or whatever. And so there is a structure, and God gave you a structure. If you didn't have a skeletal system, you would be a blob. Have you ever met a blob? I'll look down in case you raise your hand. So the first of of the structure starts with convictions. I said this a couple of times, and since I really like how it, how it comes out, I, I'll say it again. <laughs> InBev is, uh, used to be owned by a St. Louis-based company. It's an alcohol beer company, InBev. It, 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 they own Budweiser and they own all of these beer, um, uh, uh, I don't know, brands. They were bought out by a company in Europe somewhere, I don't know. And as it turns out, when, when the company decided to put a man who's posing as a woman on their can, on their beer can, people are outraged. People are outraged. And, and to date, that company has lost billions of dollars in sales. Who knew but that Budweiser, Bud Light drinkers have convictions? Bud Light drinkers have convictions. There, they are, they have a conviction and they are boycotting Bud Light. They'll drink other alcoholic beverages and who knew that drunks have a conviction? What about the church? You don't really want me to go down this road, but we live our lives flagrantly. I want to submit to you if you're going to have a structure, you got to start with convictions. What will you do and what will you won't, what will you not do? If you wait until your temptation comes to develop a conviction, chances are you will succumb to the temptation. You develop a conviction before you're ever tempted. But if you're waiting for the convic- waiting for the temptation, chances are you won't know what to do when it comes. Convictions. Convictions. Those things that that you stand for, those things that are the principles of your life, the guiding parts of your life. I have a conviction. Now I want you to just, I want you to know that the Bible, if the Bible speaks of it, it doesn't mean that I have to have a conviction to do it. If God commanded me to do something in the Bible, I don't need a conviction because he already spoke. (laughs) I have a conviction, Pastor. I, 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 I give my tithing. That's not a conviction. That's a command. That's just obedience. <laughs> conviction is not the word. Conviction is what you submit yourself to God to please him. 
The word establishes already. And the problem is we, people now have convictions about things already written in the Bible. That is obedience to God. We must have convictions. If you're going to have construction, you're going to have to have convictions. What are your convictions? Now, I, when I open that up, I have to say to you, for a long time, people looked to the pulpit to decide what their convictions would be. Well, my preacher tells me to do that. Well, my Sunday school teacher tells me to do that. Well, why don't you go there? Because my church says it's, it's not right. You ought, to in, you ought to develop your own convictions about who you will be. So the first thing in structure is to have convictions. That, those are kind of like the, 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 uh, the bracing. Uh, the, those are the pillars around your life. And then there are tolerances and allowances. Tolerances and allowances. What will you tolerate? I, I often say that a church is not always defined by its doctrine. It's defined by what it tolerates. In the New Testament church, Paul wrote a letter and he said, you've tolerated some gross sexual immorality. And he rebuked them for that. A church, what does the church tolerate? Just, just in language, what would we tolerate? What would we not tolerate? I, I can tell you a couple things we cannot tolerate. We, we, we haven't tolerated, and we're trying to be kind. We don't tolerate children saying curse words in Sunday school. We just don't tolerate it. Not everyone's happy that we don't tolerate that. Because they confuse compassion and mercy with judgmentalism. Wait a second. Wait a second. This is a, this is a border, a boundary. We don't allow certain things. There's certain things we don't allow. For those of you who are here and new to the church and, and, and come when, when we have services, it's just my preference that people don't wear denim or blue jeans on the platform. It, it's not a sin to wear blue jeans. I have some blue jeans. I wear, you may never seen me wear blue jeans, but I have blue jeans. What's the big deal, pastor? Well, it's just because I prefer as the pastor to present something else than blue jean presentation. You can go to heaven wearing blue jeans, but you can't go to heaven wearing blue jeans on the platform. It's not a huge deal. I'm just telling you that this is a, things that I think that we should have in a structure. It's just, it's just a structure. It's just, this is part of, of, of the structure. If you lose the structure, you are unaccountable. I will say, an unaccountable person is a person who's in great danger of immoral decline. Here's the third one. It's attitude. Everyone say Attitude. Oh, everything seems to rise and fall with attitude. Your spirit, what is your attitude? Don't tout a bad attitude. It's not, it's not a medal hanging around your neck. It doesn't make you look good. A bad attitude or a sour attitude is a reproach to the blood of Jesus that, that was shed for your sins. The church of Jesus Christ has no room for a bad attitude. You were saved, blood-bought. You were, your sins hung on a cross. God gave you a new life. You don't have any right to have a bad spirit or a bad attitude. And when you do that, you exercise that to the harm of the church body. Amen. 
well, someone said something that I didn't like. Fine. You've done a lot of things to Jesus that he didn't like and he forgave you for it. And he didn't hold it to your, to your debt. We do not treat each other like the Lord treats us. If the Lord treated us like we treat each other, we would already be gone. Okay. How are we doing? I feel really uh, like a bulldog. Uh, it's okay. I've, I've, I'm feeling this way. I'll just let it go. It's just part of the presentation tonight. The attitude is a structure. You can control yourself. Yes. Everyone can control themselves. Amen. Unless you have some severe issue that needs medical attention, you can control yourself. You can smile. It's a willful act. You can become, that's a willful act. You can have a nice spirit and disposition. It's willful. It's what you decide to do. You can have a sweet spirit. Or you can have a bad spirit. And your bad spirit emanates. You can say all the right things. You transmit what you feel. Your spirit's like a radio transmitter. You're always transmitting what you feel. It, took, it takes about two or three minutes to stand in front of someone. You know if they're a fraud or if they're genuine. You know. You don't even have to say. In fact, many times it's subconscious. Amen. And so I know that. I feel that. And, and I, I want to believe. And I want to accept. And I know that whatever is presented to me, that I have to present a good spirit in return. It's critical that I do that. All right. The third, the, the, the fourth word down in structure is accountable or accountability, to be accountable. Who knows where you are? Does anyone know your passwords? Who do you answer to? Who, who do you, who do you talk to about your life? Who do you share your, your life with? And in accountability, who has that, number five, authority to direct you? Who in your life can correct you? What about correction? Who, who, can, who can say, I don't think you should do that? And you not have a problem with number three. Number three is fine until number five shows up. Number five shows up wondering where number one is because you've let down on number two and now number three is all out of whack and you don't want to say anything because it's none of their business. That's number four. And you wish that number five would go away. And they're saying, listen, that's not good because people are watching you. Hey, that's number six. (laughs) 
And if you don't have these things in order, you don't have a structure. You got to have a structure. Because there has to be accountability. And the only real way to have accountability is to have some authority in your life. Amen. The authority in your life is the, is the covering over you. You don't have to agree with your covering. I, I have a phenomenal pastor. And I will tell you, whether I agreed or disagreed, he didn't know. It didn't matter. I, it wasn't even to this very day, I don't take the position of agreeing or disagreeing because he's my authority. If you're in the military and the general or the captain or the lieutenant, whoever is over you, tells you to take out the trash or dig a ditch or move something over to another place for later, you don't say to your, your military authority, you know, I really disagree with that. And you also don't say, listen, I'm not in the military, but people have told me this. You, you, you also don't say, I, I understand what you're saying. I just don't like the way, Captain, you've said that. You could have said it a better way. I will do whatever you say as long as you treat me with respect. <laughs> and the problem is, because we don't want any authority, we're going to do whatever we want to do. And if anyone says anything who's in authority, then we're going to question how it was presented, if it was said in the right tone, or if we're going to accept it. If that's the case, they're not your authority. Then you don't have them. What they are is just a person that has a title, but they don't have authority. Yes. They're a tiger without teeth. All right. I'm feeling better as I move along here in this, in this lesson. And then there's, in the, in the structure, there's exampleship. In that structure of communication and conduct and disciplines, there is this example. You are an example. Paul said you are an epistle or a book read by everybody. You're an epistle read by all men. You're a book. People are reading you every day. Inside the church, outside the church, in your home, outside of your home, you're a book being read every day. Every day, you're a book. People are reading you. They're reading what you're saying. You're writing a paragraph right now. You're writing something with your eyes, your spirit, your attitude, where you are, where you're, where you're not. You're, you're, you're being read by everybody. I, I will just say in number six that... New Life Fellowship has a reputation, and the reputation is built upon the people of the church. You represent something higher than yourself. Now, I want you to repeat this after me. Ready? It's not about me. Let's try that again. It's not about me. If it becomes about you, then you become the island and eventually you'll damage the rest of the body. How are we supposed to preach the gospel or reach the world if we have a bad reputation because the people inside the church don't believe in the very doctrine that it, that it, that it supports or promotes or it propagates? There's a, there's, there's a doctrine of love. There's a doctrine of grace. There, there in the Bible, there are, there are clear indications and directions of holiness 
and godliness, how you should live, what you wear, what you shouldn't wear, how you speak, what you should drink, what you shouldn't drink, what you should say, things that you should do and not do. That's in the scripture. Last week I talked about holiness, holy. To be holy means to be set apart, but it's also reductive. It means unlike the world, to be unlike. Amen. The, the structure is actually a safety net. It's good to have a structure. Parents, your children will take a while to have a conviction. So don't leave it up to them to develop their own conviction. Let them live under your conviction until it's time they're old enough to establish their own conviction. And there is no set time or age. You know each child. This is happening in the world today. It's been happening a long time. This di- didn't happen this year. It's been, very, it's been many decades where children were allowed to make up their own mind about what they thought without parental instruction. No, that's not the plan of God. That's not the way of the Lord. So there are things that I, 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 I want to happen, but I know, first of all, I have to have the exampleship, and then Tammy and I have to work together to develop this conviction because we don't leave it, we didn't leave it up to our children. Now there's a time when they have to have their own convictions. They have to, whether they, if they now deviate after we've led them, that's up to them. There's a moment where they're, they're on their own. They can, they can backslide. They can leave the convictions. They can, they can thwart their God example. But up until that time, they had to follow our convictions and our example. And we're smarter than they are. And we know that Boys have hormones and they rage. And we, don't, we didn't want to put them in a place where those hormones could be exercised without constraint. And, and I say that with boys and girls have the same, uh, 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 maybe a little bit different pattern, but there's, there's, there's got to be some boundaries and convictions that they may not have and you've got to have it for them. And if you don't have it for them, you're putting them in harm's way. Okay, so we we all have cell phones. The kids have cell phones, that's fine. What about those cell phones? Did you just give them a cell phone and say, here you go. Now we don't believe in bad things, but here you go. Here's the portal for everything you could ever see and want in your entire life. All the sin is right there in your hand. If you don't have a conviction or some way to guard that, then what you've just done is you've given them the greatest temptation that they'll ever have in their entire life. And now you don't know what they're going to see or say or read about or watch. And then later you're saying, well, I don't know how my child got to this point. I don't know how, because they've been addicted by the very thing that you allow them to have. Amen. And then there's this structure called compassion. And within the structure, there's always compassion. Because the structure is not so rigid that, that it becomes a sterile environment where there's no hugs and love. Real structure has a lot of compassion wrapped around it. Amen. If you, if you go through every seven, you're going to see an element where, where there is something in that that expresses 
a human relation to someone else based upon the love of God that's in you. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that's in you with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience, everyone say good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you as of evil doers, they may be ashamed that they falsely accuse your good conversation of Christ. For it is better if the will of God be so that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. So I'm just lifting verse 16, having a good conscience. A good conscience and a structure does not mean an hateful spirit. It doesn't mean that you don't have mercy in your hands or grace for other people or compassion. In fact, uh, it means that you do have compassion and you do have grace and you do have mercy. Amen. Number four, or, or letter C, if you, if you have it. Where are we at? D, D, I'm sorry, D, D. Are we in D? Thank you. Okay, D. This is spiritual endeavors. I, I, there, I only have three of these, sir, uh, the, uh, these uh, lessons, and I, I have to get through seven of these, so I'm, hopefully I'll, I'll make it. Spiritual endeavors. Spiritual endeavors is part of setting your house in order. And, and this is very important. We've talked about maybe some pragmatic things, natural things that you, that you and I can do every day. But there are some things that are, that are just things that take a work of the Holy Ghost. But they're also deliberate things. They're things that I have to do so that I can allow him to flow in my life. I, I want to caution everyone, don't blame the Lord um, for a lack of... of of spiritual work and understanding. We, we have to have an intention. We set our house in order. I don't know what's wrong with me. I keep getting up super early in the morning and, and it's just been going on and on and on and I'm trying to um, stop that, but it just, and I'm thinking my brain is in overdrive and I have burdens. And sometimes I just feel like I have to have a little time with the Lord. Whatever it is. But one of the things that I, that I, that I have to do is, and I put it down on, the, on our first portion of this, um, of this structure, is to order my time. If I don't order my time, things will get out of hand real quick. And you might not think that that's a spiritual thing, but if you don't order your time, you won't have time to pray. If you don't order your time, you won't read your scripture every day. I won't, I won't have a show of hands, but I wonder, don't raise your hand, but I wonder how many in here read their Bible every day. Um, I wonder how many here just speak to the Lord at some juncture during their day. The order of your time. The devil would love to steal your time. He'd like to take it and strip it. Because he might not be able to steal many things, but if he can take your time with distractions, then he can strip you of a lot of other spiritual endeavors. Kingdom work takes time. So the first part of setting your house in order as it regards to spiritual endeavors is to have time to do spiritual things. 
Now that seems elementary, Pastor. Well, of course, but, but don't get too lofty. First, take time to listen to God. Sometimes we, lo- we know how to pray, and we think praying is a continual speaking out of our mouth. Sometimes I'm speaking to the Lord, and sometimes I'm waiting on Him to talk back to me. You don't have a very good relationship with your spouse or someone you like if you talk the whole time and all they say is, uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. I talked to someone one time, and they were, <clears throat> it, was like, um, uh, it was like an auctioneer. And I kept saying, well, yeah, and, and they kept, and no, there are some folks who have circular breathing. Now, in, in a woodwind instrument, it's circular breathing is you don't have to actually stop to take a breath. You, you breathe and you're, you're blowing out of your mouth and you're breathing and you're playing your instrument and you just, you don't, it, you never stop breathing. It's amazing to have circular breathing. Um, there's, a, there's some saxophonists that have very good circular breathing. There's people who talk like that. They have circular breathing. They don't stop to take a breath because the breath has already gone in and their vocal cords are, are, are vibrating. How would you do that to God? Continually talking to God, but you're never waiting for God to answer you back. Or never waiting for the Lord. Or you'll say, well, does he, is he going to talk to me in an audible voice? Maybe not, but he might speak to your heart. Or the Lord might show you a scripture and you're reading your scripture. And, oh my, that answered what I was praying for. Order your time. Be in control of your time. You won't have time for Saturday night prayer. You won't sign up for, for a, time, a half an hour prayer because you don't have the time. The worst thing we can do is say we're too busy to do the things of God. You're too busy to be kingdom-minded and do the kingdom work, then you're too busy. Here's number two. You should have a place for God. A place for God that's in devotion and prayer and meditation and Bible study. Where does God fit in your life? What place does he have? I get work schedules. I get it. And family. I get that. I've been on multiple fasts. I won't repeat all this stuff, but I've been on a lot of different long fasts. It's incredible when I'm on a fast, how much extra time I have. Does anyone know that? When you're fasting, it's like, man, there's so much more time. Now, it might be because you're so hungry that the day goes drags by. But it also because you didn't, Think of, you thought about the food. You didn't make the food. You didn't eat the food. You didn't clean up the dishes because there was nothing to do. So there's got to be a place for God. And that place uh, means that there has to be devotion. Where does God fit in your day? Where does God fit in your life? This is, a, this is an important moment here. So I'm not going to preach to the choir. I just wanted to say thank you for coming to Wednesday night Bible study. It is important. Regardless of who is teaching, it is important. You may not get a whole lot out of my lesson, but if you get one line and it'll help you for your life, it was worth it. It's worth it. If you get two lines, that's gold. If you get more than that, you are flying. It's amazing. You've just invested in yourself. You've got to have time for God. Sometimes the Lord speaks during the service and it doesn't come through the preacher. You have to have time for the Lord. Don't be so arrogant to think that you don't need God all the time. You need him. You have to have a place for God. He needs to fit into your life. And every, t- every day he has to have a place. Number three, 
spiritual endeavors include the Great Commission. Now I'm going to be a little strong here, so just fasten your seatbelts. As if I'm not already strong. And it could be offensive. It is a shame for people who have the Holy Ghost to never teach a Bible study in their life. It is a shame for people who are born again and never share their born again experience. It is a reproach to the people of God that have been saved from sin to never introduce anyone to the Lord or bring anyone to church. And if it was up to me, not one person would ever receive a license to preach in an organization if they had never baptized someone themselves. I don't know why anyone would want to proclaim that they are a preacher and never baptize anybody. To me, that's a false advertisement. To me, I can't imagine that we would spend our whole lives coming to church and never have a guest with us. Your, your structure should include, your endeavor should include the Great Commission because it's the Great Commission. You can have any other commission, but there's only one commission that's great. And that is to spread the gospel. And I'll break it down for you. You can start by bringing one person to church in one calendar year. Amen. And all the people said, sounds good to me. It doesn't sound good to you. It doesn't sound good to you because you think that's impossible. It is not impossible. Start talking to everybody you can. Start telling every, these are spiritual endeavors. It's a spiritual endeavor to tell someone we've got to be in the house of God. I know a place where you can hear the word. I know a place where you can be saved. I know a place. Amen. I made some friends even when I went to the Christian school. And the friends that I made were not part of the Christian school. And, and when I started to teach a Bible study to one of my friends who was a Mormon, that was a real struggle. It was hard. But I finally got her to come to church. And my dad baptized her in Jesus' name. It was an amazing thing. She didn't stay in our church, but she came. She had a couple friends with her. It was an awesome time. I was, I was, I was just a teenager. I was a little older teenager, but I was so glad that she came and there was people. It was, it was a wonderful thing to see that. My brother was 18 years old and he got a great burden. And in the summer between 18 and 19, in the summer after he graduated from high school, he knocked on all of the doors in a particular neighborhood, all the apartments. And someone let him in, and he taught him a Bible study. And he baptized, Scotty baptized 16 of his own new converts when he was 18 years old. That's the, that's the environment and the culture that I grew up in. And I shake my head and wonder, wait a second. You mean people come to church all their life, and they have never taught a Bible study, and they never feel compelled? Well, of course, no one wants to go to a church where the preacher keeps telling you, bring somebody to church and teach a Bible study. It's better to go somewhere else where you can pass it off and never be challenged. But I will tell you, if you're around sinners, it is your obligation to tell them about the Lord. When, they, when the Lord comes back and they say, are you kidding me? You never told me? 
You saw me every day. You came to my store every day. I gave you coffee at the coffee shop every day and you never said anything to me. You never even invited me to church. If we pass it off and say, well, that's just not my personality, that's a lie too. That's just pride. Get out of your pride and go tell somebody. In fact, if we were really hungry about the church, and someone just sent me this text today of one of our ministers who preached that when you are a church planter, you try to find people to come so your church can be established. After the church is established, you just try to keep people so it can stay established. But if you were really hungry, you go out and find somebody and bring them to the house of God. But we're not that way. We rather have the performance. But the performance or the church service or whatever you want to call it, that is one function of our life. The Great Commission is to go, teach, preach, and baptize. That is a spiritual endeavor. Listen, I'm glad if you have one of the nine supernatural gifts of the Spirit. But if you're not teaching a Bible study, I don't want to hear you prophesy. And I don't want to hear your word of wisdom. And I don't want you walking around with the gift of knowledge and telling people stuff. Because you've never taught one Bible study. We don't need another tongues interpretation. What we need is someone to go out and find somebody so they can be filled with the Holy Ghost and speak in tongues for the first time. Now, before you get all bent out of shape, I want the nine gifts of the, I want those. I want all of that. I want the supernatural gifts. We need them. We need the gift of laying on of hands. We need the gift of faith operating the church. We will die without it, but we'll also die if there's not new converts. Billy Cole said this one time. He said, when a minister said, I'm praying that we have, I don't know how many, he said, I pray that we have 20 people filled with the Holy Ghost this Sunday. And Billy Cole said to the pastor, if you don't have 20 people in the church that needs it, 20 people are not going to get it. We have to have people that need the Holy Ghost. We need people that need to be baptized or we'll never have a baptism in this house. And I can't hardly take it if there's two or three weeks go by and those waters are still. The reason why we have a baptismal tank in here is not for us, it's for people who need to be baptized. The great spiritual endeavor is the great commission of our lives. I would just say, order your time and put down your media devices. They're eating up our lives and spiritual endeavors. One person did, did the math that if Jesus was alive today and he spent as much time watching movies, television, internet, Facebook, all the other stuff, Instagram, as the typical American does, he would have had about, he would have less than seven months of ministry of his three and a half ministry, years of ministry. He would have only been working or doing ministry seven months. Because we're eaten up with things that don't matter. What should eat you up and devour you and the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up? You should say, I've got to reach somebody with the gospel of Jesus Christ. There shouldn't be one seat empty in any church, any apostolic church. If the new church, if the modern church had the passion of the early church, we would do something about it. We would go out and find everybody we could because Jesus said, go to the highways and the byways and compel them to come into my house. Amen. That's the Great Commission. If we're going to get our house in order, we're going to have the Great Commission. Number four, there's going to be kingdom investments. Kingdom investments. Four things I've learned about giving. Here's four things. This is not on your paper, but you can put it to the side. First reason why I give is because it's in the Word and I'm obedient. I give by obedience. Kingdom investment. 
That's not just money, but it's time, effort, energy, kingdom investments. I give by obedience. No one ever paid their tithes because you don't pay your tithes. You pay your Duke energy bill. (laughs) You pay your car note, but you don't pay your tithes. You return them to God. What you're saying with your 10% is that this belonged to God the whole time. I'm just recognizing all of it came from you. When you give your offerings, when you give your offerings, which I promote 10-10, 10% tithes and 10% giving, when you return those to God, what you're saying is tithes and offerings, Malachi 3, tithes and offerings, you're saying to God, God, I trust that you'll make my 80%, my 85%, whatever it is, go farther than if I kept everything. God will help you sustain your, your finances if you first honor him. That's not the only thing you have to do, but you first honor him. No one should ever say, I can't afford to give my tithes. You can't afford not to do that. You have a kingdom investment. The first reason why I give is because I'm obedient. It's obedience. The second, the reason why I gave is because it was a request. I gave out of, out of an ask. The third was because there was a need. Oh, somebody, somebody's hurting. Okay, what happened? Well, they, their house burned. They, they got this issue. And, okay, I'll give. First, because it was the Lord. Second, someone said, hey, will you, will you help us with this? We're, we're doing this. Okay, okay. The, the third one, it was an emotional thing. It was a reaction. It was a need. Then there's the fourth level of giving, and I discovered it several years ago, and it, and it changed my thought. I give not because there's a need, not because there's an ask, and not just because I'm being obedient. I give because I have the need to give. It's about my need, not theirs. What happens when, when, when there's, there are no bills and there's no debt, church debt? What happens? Boy, that's going to be a great day. I'm, let's just rejoice over that. What happens when there's no mortgage? And what happens when everything's taken care of? Are we still going to give sacrificially? Well, no, Pastor, because, you know, we got it all taken care of. Well, why? Because there's no need. That's not the point of giving. The point, the need of giving is from me. It's not to satisfy someone else's need. When you make that switch in your brain, it'll change the way you live and you'll be blessed. If I only fast because there's a problem... I fast, sometimes I'm, going, I'm on a fast, not because there's an issue or a problem or I need something for God, but I just realize, ooh, I think I need to stop here. I think I need to pause and just do something. Well, is there something wrong? No, there's not something wrong, but there's gotta be something right. Amen. It's kingdom investment. How about the kingdom investment? Sometimes we do things without remuneration because it's for the kingdom. Number six, personal and family growth. Endeavor, personal and family growth. Please do not read the Bible only when you come to church. You have to have personal growth. Personal growth will be displayed in your everyday language. Personal growth. Family growth. Think of your family. You have to have spiritual growth in your family. How can you grow in a family? Do a ministry, serve in the church together or serve, it may not be one department or one place, but serve. Try to grow as a family. Do your very best to do that. It's important. 
Number six is in reach. And, and when I'm talking about the Great Commission, I'm really talking about trying to find lost sinners, people that don't know the Lord. But when I'm talking about in reach, I'm talking about serving one another, the, fi- the family of God. This is our family. Encourage one another. Lift up one another. Direct one another. If so be, guard one another. If you must, then help one another stay on the right track. Reach inward. I want to reach outward, but I want to reach inward also. It's important for us. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. If you have love, not one for another, but love one to another. That word is an action word. It's a verb. You have love one to. You display it. You enact it. You say it. Amen. And all the people said amen. This is, in, this is important. Let me just, before I, before I go to seven, let me just go back to the top. Command your time. Know what your time is. It's good to have a calendar. Don't fly by the seat of your pants. Know what you're going to do in your week. It's imp- now, that may look pragmatic, but we're really wanting to devote time to God. We have to have time to do the things of the Lord. Secondly, find a location, even if it's in your home or it's at the church, find a location where you can spend some time with the Lord. Secondly, next, thirdly, communicate the gospel. You have to speak to others about the Lord. You don't always have to bring up New Life Fellowship, but you should tell them that you have a great experience with God. Next, serve and give in the kingdom. It's important. The out-of-balance life leaves no margin for volunteer efforts. But kingdom investment is the most important investment. I, I, I pray that you, that you do well in your own investments and your business and you have good work ethic. Man, there's nothing like good work ethic. But just know, this world is crumbling. It's, it's dying. It's decaying. And the only way that you're going to invest in anything that's going to matter is investing in the kingdom. When you lay treasures up in a place that's, that is carnal, that's, the Bible says the rust and the moth could corrupt it. <laughs> personal and family growth. It's important that you have that. And you're acknowledging something. You're acknowledging that this is the family of God. Reach inward to one another. I I keep going back to these these excuses of personalities, and I I found them to be true. I traveled all over the country for many, many years, and and I I found that, that people like to use their ethnicity, their, their background, I'm Polish, we're German, this is just how we do it, or this just, personalities, then all of a sudden, personality traits, these are, a lot of these are excuses for not doing the right thing, or for not being kind, or for not being gracious. Even if you don't feel interested, look interested. Even if you don't feel it, look like you do, because someone needs your attention. Amen. Oof. I feel uh, this whole time. I feel it's been it's been very tight in here. But I know that I'm, I'm either hitting someone or everyone or or I don't know. Maybe you've had a hard day. But I, I I'm going to keep plowing through because I know that we've got to get some things in order. There are some things that have to be set in order in our church. And you don't have to clap. You don't have to clap. I know that you support me. I know that you love me because you wouldn't have be here if you didn't. I know that those that are watching, at least half of them love me. And the other ones are just trying to figure out what I said wrong. I, I mean, I know. I got it. It's okay. It's okay. 
There's a bullseye somewhere on me, right, Mom? There's a bullseye somewhere. So it's okay. It's been there for a while. We'll just leave it there. And, you know, I feel like General Patton. He said, I've been shot at all of my life and sometimes by my enemies. I got it. It's okay. I didn't get this far by wilting in the face of people who didn't agree with me. I got here because the Lord gave me the burden and I preach anyway. I'd like for you to be supportive, but if you're not, I'm going to come in here and preach on Sunday and I'm going to come back here on Wednesday. I'm going to teach the same thing. I'm going to plow through until we all get, at least most of us get on board and we're going to say, we're going to set some things in order. We're going to reach the lost. We're going to serve God. We're going to get our spiritual house in order. Set your spiritual house in order. If you don't set your spiritual house in order, you will be miserable. You will have great deficits. There are things that will come to you because, because you're not prepared for them. I ask, I'll ask you tonight, who is your pastor? Who is your spiritual authority? Now, I know we have some guests here and that I'm not your pastor, but I will say to you that you should honor your pastor, whoever he is. And you should make sure that you're praying for him and covering him with prayer. Amen. Amen. That's right. And if you're going to do that, then go ahead and honor the church. Because the Bible says, submit yourselves one to another. Sometimes it's easier to submit ourselves to authority than it is to one another. Mm -hmm. Amen. It's the care. It's the care of one another. It's the care. And finally... Spiritual endeavors include sacrifice. 2 Samuel 24, 24. It's not on your paper. That is your pastor's favorite scripture. 2 Samuel 24, 24. Let me just set it up for you. David did something on his own. In many times in the scriptures, the kings counted the people. Moses counted the warriors, but it was always under the direction of God or with a pure heart. But David got to a place where he stopped counting on God and he started to count how many men he had to win the battle. And when he did that, God struck the whole, the whole congregation down with a disease. And some of them were sick and some of them were dying. And David said, I've sinned. How can I recover? And and, and David went to make a sacrifice to God. He climbs this mountain. He gets on top of the mountain. There is a threshing floor, a flat rock. It's owned by a man named Aruna. And he, he says to Aruna, listen, I have to make a sacrifice to God. When they made sacrifice to God, they would go up to the highest part, the highest peak. Because they always believe we want to get as close to God as we can. I'm going to make a sacrifice to God. Abraham climbed, climbed Moriah. All the way up the mountain to make a sacrifice. Not in the lowlands, not in the valleys, all the way up the mountain. It was an arduous task. And Aruna said to David, you're the king, I'll give it to you. And David said in 2 Samuel 24, 24, I cannot offer God something that costs me nothing. Mm -hmm. If it didn't cost you anything, it's not a sacrifice. If you can budget for it. It's not a sacrifice. If it fits into your scheme, it's not a sacrifice. If it doesn't hurt you somewhere, it's not a sacrifice. If you can get it back, it's not a sacrifice. You want to have a spiritual endeavor? Make a sacrifice. Your sacrifice might mean that you get up an hour early to spend some time with God when you know that's a tough thing to do. It may not be about money. It might be about time or energy. Some of the sacrifices we need to make are going to help us be saved.
Amen. Amen. <laughs> Jesus saves. I know that. But in the process of spiritual pursuits and endeavors, we must save ourselves. <laughs> I, of course, I've lift, lifted that from Acts chapter 2, verse 40. Peter's preaching. He gets done with Acts chapter 2, verse 38 and 39, and, and this is the next line. Save yourselves from this untoward, means aimless generation. Save yourself. Let me, let me tell you, folks, if you will endeavor in spiritual efforts, you'll save yourself. Save yourself. Save yourself some time. Save yourself some pain. Save yourself some anguish. Save your family from sin. Save yourselves from getting entangled in all kinds of stuff you shouldn't be involved in. Save yourselves from getting snared by gossip and nonsense and talking and things that don't make, make any difference. Save your brain from all the corruption that gets into your mind. Save your purity. Save your innocence. Save yourselves. You can save yourself. He saves us, but you can also save yourself. Save yourself some trouble and some heartache and some, and some pain. <laughs> Amen. Oh, man. Sacrifice. We have to make a sacrifice to God. Nobody can make the sacrifice for you. I can't make a sacrifice for you. I cannot make a sac sacrifice for a Roman and my dad can't make a sacrifice for me. He made his own sacrifice. He still makes a sacrifice. I have to make my own Roman. You have to make your own. You can't live on grandpa's sacrifice. Though there were many, you have to make your own. I have to make my own sacrifice to God. Amen. Sacrifices. The great spiritual endeavor. Sometimes you have to make a sacrifice and be lonely. Because the people that you love don't love God. Sometimes you make a sacrifice. Because the places where you're invited, you can't go. Some childhood friends all got together. I found out they were all going to have a big reunion. But they didn't invite me because they knew I wasn't going to go there and watch them drink. And you know, I would have liked to have seen them. But they already knew. Jeff's not coming. <laughs> yeah, it'd be nice to get together. And I'd like to have some folks in my life, but I can't. And the reason why I can't is because they've deviated and they stand against everything I stand for. Amen. Oh, man. You, be, you, better, you better check the scripture about being a friend of the world. That's in the Bible. Better read the scripture and find out how friendly you can cozy up to the world and still be saved. You better find your place in God and don't play around with your salvation. This is a very serious thing. There are spiritual endeavors and we got to get our house in order. Set your spiritual house in order. Let me just say this. If you are not saved when the rapture comes. It won't be because you never heard the word of God. If people walk out of this house and they're not saved when the trumpet sounds, it won't be because they didn't know. 
We've got to have a spiritual move of the Lord in our lives. We need time for God. We need a place for God. I'm going down the list. We, we need to preach and teach the gospel. We got to make investments in the kingdom. We got to have personal and family growth. We got to touch someone and we all have to make a sacrifice. Amen. Praise God. Okay, well, listen, I, I, I can tell you that I, I leave my office and I see the cars. And I always say, it's incredible. They came back. And we're stopping here tonight. And we're going to hit E. I think we hit next week. And, and letter E is, it's a real tough one. You thought tonight was bad. It's, it's real tough. Come prayed up. Come prayed up. I'm really, I'm not come with prayerful hearts. Amen.